0: And welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land.
1: Aloha ka ko. You are listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. By creating a resource of pilina, connection to place, Native Stories aims to activate Indigenous perspectives. Aloha ka Owa o o no um, ma na o Hawaii, noho ma Texas. I'm Nanea Lo. I come from Papua Oahu in the Hawaiian Kingdom and I'm now residing in Texas. Um, so the last time you guys heard from me, I was living in DC, but I got evacuated from there and I'm now in Texas. I will be back in the kingdom in August. So, mahalo nui for joining us on another episode of Native Stories. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Peter C. Brooks. And I'm going to have Peter introduce himself. So, aloha, Peter.
0: Oh, aloha. Thank you for having me. My name, I call myself Mahpia Vluta, which means no man, no man, because I have a, a very interesting story. It's, it's the story of, you know, the urban Indian the ones who were all the way on the East Coast among the very, the tribe that was the very first tribe to convert to Christianity, to Catholicism, the Piscataway tribe from here in Maryland. And so my family of Proctors, and the Proctor name is a big name in this, in this tribe, but we lived always apart from the tribe, especially after the Indian Removal Act in 1830. And in that Indian Removal Act, which people know as the Cherokee Trail of Tears, it in fact extended to all, Ameri- all American Indians, all Americans of indigenous heritage who were this side of the Mississippi River. So if you cut the United States down in the center, you say all the people on this side, you've got to get over on other side. And so that's what happened to my family. And I believe my grandfather was put up for adoption. He may have been left behind. I don't know what happened, but they allowed him to keep his name. And that's how I know my heritage. And so I am not enrolled in a tribe. I try to do cultural things as much as possible, but I always grew up identifying myself as a black person. My grandfather did the same thing and they did it for the protection of the people. And so, you know, of the family, because there was strength in that. Mm -hmm. We weren't white people, but then again, we're not really black people, but we fit in with the black people because we can survive there. They will accept us, while the others will not. And so we hide out, and we've been what's called mixed race, or sometimes they call us high yellow people. Um, the Proctors here in Maryland had a reputation of only marrying their cousin. This is true of a lot of uh, Native families throughout the East Coast. It really isn't true, but what happened was because we all look the same, and we were so different, we tried to stay together. And so other people who were attracted to us, well, we were trying to keep our thing together. You know, we were trying to keep what mm-hmm. was familiar with because we had seen, you know, what had happened to so many other people who had allowed, you know, allowed them in and terrible things had happened. I mean, if you look back at the history of the American Indians, on the eastern seaboard of the united states um you know you almost have to look at it in terms of centuries you know in the 1700s we were a part of the slave trade we were finding runaway slaves and selling them back we were we had gone from from being family with the animals to being commercial traders um With the animals and trying to to trade the animals and our, our relatives for money because we had become so accustomed to and addicted to and deceived by the things that they brought us. And the English were particularly and the English really settled a lot in this area, Maryland, Washington, Northern Virginia, and they were. Particularly adept at playing native tribes against one another. Um, and they enjoy, it was like a game to them. And, um, even just men and, and, and families dividing families, they would divide it and watch us fall apart and just laugh about it. And so, yeah, the, these types of things happened. And, and you look at a tribe like the Tuscarora tribe, you know, which had gone from North Carolina, all the way up to Canada to become part of the Iroquois nation, you know, whichever people, whoever could make it traveling that whole way. And even the history I've done of the Piscataway tribe, it's always running and going to Pennsylvania and coming back to Maryland and all this scattering. And so I'm sure along the way, people were lost and A lot, I guess, didn't make it, but that's how we came to be. And a lot of the eastern tribes also, the history is that I've learned that a lot of the tribes would hang out in the swamps because on the eastern part of the United States, from about Maryland and that center part, all the way down to Florida, all along that coast is swampland. You know, for about, I'd say the first... And some points, 20 or 10 miles and, and other points, it's hundreds of miles of just coastal swampland where nobody, you know, lives too much. It's very, very sparse. And then you get into these big cities like New York and Washington and Atlanta and Miami is a coastal city and, you know, Boston is a coastal city, but a lot of that southern area is marshland. And so the Indians would hide out in there and uh, and and try to survive you know all these changes that were going on that were so sudden and you've got things like disease which really decimated my people
1: mm-hmm. you know my
0: people never kept domestic animals like chickens and pigs and dogs and cats and stuff so we were not used to this prepared at all um, you've got you know a history of, of warfare and disagreements and favoritism and and people liking other people and not others and things like that. That who knows where the origin of these things come from? But you know this was was existing when when we would come back and and we were we were and they were always so appreciative of us if we brought beavers or deer skins or anything you know and they would bring us in and offer us drink and stuff. And so, you know, the men would get cheated and they would get addicted to the drink and they would leave their families and try to be like these white men. And so this also, you know, really affected us. And then you just had the swarms of people, the culture shock, you know, of seeing all these people whose way is so, just completely different from ours. To look at a tree as a resource, you know, was really, really, I, I don't know how I explain how far fetched for
1: is. Native peoples to yeah. see. So, yeah. And then
0: having to realize that you've got to adapt to that.
1: Mm-hmm. And if
0: you don't, you're not, not going to survive. So I just look back and say that, you know, we are completely unrecognizable from the people that we were in 1492 or in 1592 or 1692 until today we have changed a
1: lot um
0: so your other
1: people have- ancestors migrated to baltimore
0: well actually yes to this area we were originally the earliest native person i can find in my family is in damascus maryland and this is a northwestern part of maryland which is really isolated not very many people uh you know live there um and it's northwest of washington dc and so the tribe is below washington dc in southern maryland and um and we're on tribal land obviously but yeah that was the that was the earliest that, that that i could find and from there, you know, we moved into the city. We tried to fit in. We became caterers. We became wall hangers. We became carpenters, painters, even musicians, um, uh, uh, my grandfather's side. And it's just not a lot, you know, known about the Proctors in, in, in my family. At least it's it's hard to find. Um, you know, we just have what's our oral tradition. But you know, when we come amongst our people, we fit in. We feel like family. And, stuff. Mm-hmm. and so it just works that way. And and. And I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, we just denied it for so long. Um, and and my grandfather made a living out of passing for black. I mean, he really changed American society in so many profound ways, Um because of his power to be a bridge between the blacks and the whites um
1: so how did you find about find out about your identity and um was it because of like your grandparents still held those practices or was it kind of you got older and just and like felt something missing and you decided to like dive deeper into what that was in your history of your ancestry
0: all right I'll tell you honestly on my mom's father's side my grandfather Cab Calloway they they said they didn't know what he was but he said he was one of us and so that was cool so the blacks accepted him because he was cool me growing up in a black community, I was called white boy and Casper. And, you know, nobody knew that I was Indian and I knew that I didn't really fit in with the white people. And I knew I didn't really fit in with the black people. And so I had to figure out what was going on with my family and why we looked so different. And they called us all these names, red bone and high yellow and, and, and these, you know, painful things, half breed and stuff. And so. Even the name of the, the sports, you know, franchise, you know, it was always teased about me and, and my family members. And so, yeah, we began to find out what happened. You know what I mean? Why did this turn out to be the way it did? Um, you know, why did my grandfather, when I asked him about this, you know, become angry and say, don't say this to anybody. You know what I mean? We're black and just accept that. You know what I mean? Don't say nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we, um, you know, we had to, to, to fit in. And then it all kind of dawned on me because all of a sudden, you know, again, I guess you try to understand people through their culture and their spirituality. And so I had done all this research and nothing really fit until I came into the indigenous circle. Mm. Um, and so, and that's where I felt at home. And there's still this sort of, you know, tension and, and mistrust and stuff because I've been away for a long time. And I don't appear on any papers or anything like that, but I do have this family name and I have this thing about me and this look that is different. And so it's, um you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing, but this is what happens when you base a society around the way people look mm-hmm. and not the way they behave and the way they treat each other. And so, you know, when we look fundamentally, that's, you know, one of these big differences. And I think... You know, you see many other differences as a result. I mean, everything in the European way is a square. Mm-hmm. And everything in our way is a circle. Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, and on just- this journey of, yeah, like, finding more about your ancestors, um, have some of your other family members, like, taken this journey with you? Or has it just been kind of your own solo it's- mission?
0: It's mostly me, and of course, you know, I'm sort of driven by whatever, you know, everybody is really just trying to survive. I don't really blame them. I, you know, I guess got on this quest... Um, because this is the way my father was and my mother were and they were like and then i kept hearing as i went to all these events you know you should be proud of your heritage you should be proud of who you are and stuff and this is a key to survival you know for our people who are people mm-hmm. of color and so um yeah and and i mean there's and and there's a huge tradition in america that you can look at people like bob barker even jimmy hendrix I think my grandfather is one, you know, um, they were really Native Americans. They just mm-hmm. fit in, you know, they just blended in. And it's something we've been doing for, like I said, hundreds of years now. Just
1: blending in, fitting in. Yeah, just I mean, I love hearing the story because um, as a Konaka there are like a lot of parallels between the story the stories that you have been sharing um, from indoctrination and, you know, people in families, like not being able, like through generations being indoctrinated Boy. and not having, you know, being separated yeah. from that indigenous and native identity and then not having yeah, but- the privilege after those generations of really going back to their roots and their identity because of modern day society and economics and having to feed their families. Um, I think that's a very important um, story to share with our listeners.
0: I think so. And people making fun of you and, and all of the things that go along with being somehow different. And Mm -hmm. so we had to figure out a way to, capitalize on that and to utilize our difference to survive. And one of the ways we did it was by observing in each of the two groups, the blacks and the whites, and learning more about them than they knew about themselves. I mean, that's very traditional. It's very Asian thing to do, too. Asians, you know, if you notice, they don't tend to invent many things. They just copy what you've done really, really well. And so... By using that, that ability, becoming a bridge and negotiating between the two, how they can come together. Um, and, and that's sort of the tradition and the legacy, I think, that my grandfather left and that I'm trying to lead to, you know, in my life. And so, um, and it's, it's just really, it's a message, like you, like I said, of, you know, not judging people by how they look, but how they treat one another, the things they say to one another. Um, you know how much they care for each other and i and it really has to start with your family you know what i mean how much do you care for your family and so mm-hmm. all of these and what are you willing to sacrifice to retain your family and, and keep your family and so all of these things are huge challenges that we have to overcome and all of these questions that the other side doesn't you know what i mean they just go through life and reality like it is what it is and And I won the lottery and, and I get what I want. Yeah. So, so it's a real, real struggle. And at any time you can be found out, you know, kind of, and oh man, it, it was, it was a real, real struggle. Um, you've got the Seminoles, you know, in Florida who adopted the runaway slaves. And then you've got, you know, the other tribes in the Southeast that, traded and kept slaves and competed with the white man in plantations and land ownership and all of that stuff and and again each side just trying to prove that in some way we're equal because what it came down to was the fact that you know they had the gun we had the bow and arrow, spear and so they felt that because they had the gun God favored them more. And and what could you say? I mean, airplanes and cars, all of this stuff, it's just very different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but as we're learning now, it comes at a tremendous price.
1: Yes. So. <laughs> Globalization <laughs> especially is crazy. Um,
0: yeah, that. That is the native story. I mean that's that's what we all share in common is that same experience. And yes. It's from one the eastern coast all the way to the, to to where you are in Hawaii. I mean the story of the Lumbees, gosh, and the Piscataway chief went down and and brought people from North Carolina saying, this is my family and they came to Baltimore after the wars, after World War 1 and World War 2. And and said, you guys can make it better up here, and you can fit in, and you can do it. And many of them did. And and I mean, you can go back and see. There's some, you know, magazines in the 50s and stuff where they talk about the Lumbees and the Indians trying to fit in, trying to prove themselves as the same. So it's uh, it's a long history of that. And,
1: and I know uh, for and, and, for me coming to. <laughs> like Turtle Island and going to DC and meeting um, the native yes. peoples of this land. It's been a life changing experience to hear about these stories and how, yeah, they, they connect and they mirror the stories of my people. Um, yes. I wanted to ask so you can share with our listeners. Um, what is your professional capacity? I know you do a lot of things. Um, you're a professor, correct?
0: I used to be, yes.
1: yes.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 and? I went to New York University. Uh, I got the master's degree from NYU in film TV production. Um, I got a bachelor's degree from McDaniel College in communications and systems analysis. And I, I never really wanted to create um, you know, because I just had so many strong feelings, um, about the obscenities that were, were going on. I mean, and when I was graduating school, it was like $16 million to make a film. It just seemed so obscene to me when people didn't have glasses and tennis shoes and, you know, food and stuff. So it just, um, I mean, I was at an anti-apartheid rally, and I'm like, what am I doing here? We've got apartheid right in the United States, and it's in my own family. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: it's this journey of discovering and learning things and doing things like what you're doing. Follow your bliss, you know. Just get out there and try it. I mean, you never know. Um, So now you're, like,
1: on this new journey of... Um, teaching people and you're yeah, on YouTube so, too, right? Um,
0: yes. And I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm really just like you say, trying to get it together. So I've got a couple of things I've been doing. One is um, I've been doing these guided meditations, which are kind of catching on. So I take this like by, by neural music, which is supposed to be, you know, and is, as in my experience, is designed to activate certain thoughts in your brain or areas of your brain. Um, your your the waves that your brain makes the theta waves and the beta waves and stuff like that. When you're alert, your brain makes certain waves, and when you're resting, your brain makes certain waves. And so this music imitates the waves of what you're resting. And during that time, I just try to give people my honest blessing. And so (laughs) that's one thing I try to do. I find that really powerful. I find it really artistically, um, uh, liberating and, and fulfilling. Um, but yes, I'm also, I'm trying to, um, you know, teach people their heritage. Um, their lineage for them to find who they are and to use these circumstances around them to better themselves and survive. So, you know, like I say, my grandfather was one of the key figures in the Harlem Renaissance and the Harlem Renaissance was one of the most outstanding, if not the most outstanding cultural moment in American history. And in the Harlem Renaissance, basically what happened was you had all of these blacks who had gotten education for the first time and had really had an opportunity to sit back and look at everything that they had been through in terms of slavery and the middle passage and coming all the way from Africa. And it just kind of dawned on them. And so Everyone, really, they just kind of took a breath after all this had happened. And so there was this explosion of creativity that took place in a particular time period in a particular place in Harlem, New York. And there from it came people like Langston Hughes and sort Neil Hurston. And you'll hear famous names like Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. There was this uh, Romare Bearden. You know, there was this whole... Explosion of creativity that was associated with blacks. But I'm going to tell you from my experience, not all the people involved were blacks. There were a lot of native people who were involved as well. And there were blacks who were mixed at different levels with native heritage. And you can see that in the music and you can see it. You can, you can feel it in its impact on the American culture. And so you take my Aunt blanche. So my aunt Blanche in 1921, Blanche Calloway, she left Baltimore to join a musical called Shuffle Along, and this was like the second or first black musical ever done, and it was the first time. And this is an interesting point too. Um, you have to indulge me here because I got the radio audience.
1: Today, so. <laughs> yeah. Yes, keep I sharing. Think that-
0: Cultures all over the world, including my own, have always danced with a certain spiritual reverence toward animals and towards spirits. You see it amongst the Japanese and the Indians and the Arabs and even the Europeans. I have never, and I don't think ever in human history, have people ever used that to make fun of other people. In the way that they did when they did those Sambo things to the black, that is extraordinary in um, human history. It is really, really extraordinary. Um, and Can it's you still explain continue.
1: a little bit about that? Yes.
0: Well, it continues. It's right today with the use of the term and the name Redskins on an American football team. Um, so what they used to do was the white people would get dressed up as black people and even paint their skin black and they would make fun of the way the black people were. And they made a whole ritual out of it. It was a whole like ceremony. And, um, and it was great pleasure for them. Great pleasure. Great pleasure. And they do the same. They still do the same thing to our people today. They don't do it to the blacks anymore. But they do do it to the native people with this, all this Halloween stuff, how people get dressed up as Indians and stuff like that. It's, um, it's, it's devastating. It's devastating. I don't, I, it, and I, yeah, I've never, it's, yeah, uh, you can oh, go back okay. to the movie. Yeah.
1: Japan, I mean, you know? it's interesting to see, um, modern America really think that native and indigenous people are a thing of the past, and that we're dead, so that they can mimic us or mimic our ancestors or our cultural dresses, which is very offensive. Nope.
0: Anything about our history, nothing. That's and that's, the, and that's the, how it's exactly like that Sambo era. And so, yeah, and I think that's true. And so, these guys, this was the first time UB Blake and this musical that my aunt joined was the first time they were like, "We are not doing this." We are presenting ourselves as human beings and we are so equal to you that we will write the opera. We will write the uh, musical. I'm sorry. The musical will be performed by us and it will be done about us and it won't have anything really to do with you. All right. And that was 1921. And so that play was on Broadway. And uh, when my aunt, joined that, she moved to Chicago, and she stayed in Chicago, and she did shows in Chicago. My Aunt Blanche really was the first person to break the proscenium arch in the 1920s for musical singing performance. So if you go back and look at the pictures of people like Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith, And even Eubie Blake and stuff, you'll see they all stay very, very close to the band. Well, my Aunt Blanche, who I am pretty certain was really, you know, Native American, went into the audience. And she initiated what is called call and response, in which she joined the audience against the band kind of and made fun and jokes and stuff. And then she joined the band kind of making fun of the audience as well in sort of inside jokes and stuff like that. And so that introduced a certain casualness to the music because if you go back in the European tradition, singing comes from opera and you just sit in a seat and you listen to my beautiful perfection in my voice. You listen to what I can create. Isn't it amazing? And so with Cabaret though, which was more like about the white working class and people who didn't have a lot of money and stuff like that, you get a lot more interactivity in the musical performance. Well, Blanche was building off of that cabaret type of style by integrating herself with the audience. And then her, her brother, Cab, really perfected it. And he, I mean, all of that stuff became rock and roll and hip hop music and, and the type of music that is, is current today in 2020. It's all about call and response. Everybody being a part of a, an experience that is sort of otherworldly. It is charismatic. It's often generational. It uses a separate language, which is different from the language that the other people, you know, are aware of. And in, in American history, it's associated with the first time that people really kind of lose control with dance, with music. Mm-hmm. Music causes them. Do
1: you have? Really incorporate that like in your practice of like making YouTube videos and um, motivational speaking and speaking engagements and all that kind of things?
0: Yeah. Well, what I'm, what I'm talking about is how the, the six things that made such an event take place. What are the six things that you need to have a Renaissance either as a people or as a person or as a family, if you will. But yes, that's, that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm trying to, to bring to light and even to start discussion about it because Mm. a Renaissance, you know, you've got the European Renaissance with Marco Polo and China and all that thing. And that was a huge discovery. And that also that discovery took place after a catastrophe, which was their plague and all that. So The same thing happens with the Harlem Renaissance after this catastrophe, which was slavery and the Middle Passage and being kidnapped from Africa. And remind you, let me just go back over this one more time. You've lost your family, your friends, all the food that you've ever known, your language, every geographical, anything that is familiar to you is gone. Your clothing, your music, everything. And you're put in the bottom of a ship for months and sent to some place where you work as a slave. And the average person who arrived lived about nine months. Wow. So there were whole farms that were created where they just tried to repopulate people. And imagine what that does over generations. And so, yeah, and the, and the slave trade is just mind boggling how big it was. And so. Yeah, how do you overcome that? That's what we need to know is is how do we, what are the strategies? What are the tools that you use to overcome that? And I think my grandfather offers some medicine because, you know, all the people were using drugs and they still use drugs today. And it takes them out of the game completely. It's just terrible. It's the worst thing they could do. And it's the most tempting thing. Mm -hmm. And all time we have always fought against that and stuff like that. My grandfather made fun of me. He didn't, he, you know, he, he judged people certainly who did it. But if you go back and listen to his music, he's making fun of those people. He's not letting them make him angry. He's not letting them destroy his experience. He's not letting them dictate the direction or the conversation. Instead, he's saying, you shouldn't even be, you know what I mean? Um, These people are just listen to their stories, you know what I mean? And he tells their stories, and they're just terrible, you know what I mean? It's it's ridiculous. So in a way, it's um, I don't know. I find that that a fascinating way of looking at it, and perhaps a liberating way, and a different perspective, and one that you wouldn't have without that huge, you know, heritage and that background of multiculturalism, of of having, of being a person for whom race really doesn't matter because you can just go between them with relative ease, you know what I mean, for at least short periods of time. So
1: have you been yeah, able to like collaborate or meet other people that have um similar backgrounds or that have maybe their grandparents have collaborated with your grandfather? I I think this is a really powerful thing you know just before
0: the virus came um, I remember that um, Crazy Horse's grandson had come to Tam, and I don't know I was doing something for my family I'm sure but I really wanted to be there for that thing and uh, I think this is a this is that like a generational wealth transfer when you've got people who's who's you know grandparents or parents or even themselves were really successful and they can put the brakes on enough to try to help other people and tell them what the keys were that they used, I think it's really, really valuable um, because especially, you know, with us, because we've had the chance to, you know, reflect against their success, you know. I mean, like, gosh, you know, so there was this really popular TV show called Good Times, right, in the 70s. And I just found out that one of the stars of this show may have been my aunt. You know what wow. I mean? That is so good to deal with Walona in good times. It turns out, and I think it's true that that was Cab Calloway's daughter. Um, I, and so, yeah, there's all these mind blowing, I guess, kind of things happening. And I don't know. You just have to, like I say, try to slow down enough so that you can tell people exactly what's happening. And that's what's beautiful about a journalist you know, like yourself, you force us to, you know, to re-examine, to answer the difficult questions, um, you know, to present ourselves before the public, you know what I mean? It's an opportunity for, for scrutiny, you know, and as well as sharing. And I think what you're doing is so really important and, um, and I hope it, 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 well, it enriches Well, you're doing it with life.
1: me. Um, yeah, do sharing it, yeah, native me. stories and truth telling and, sharing our own narratives is important especially as for native peoples because we've yeah. all like spent generations of having our stories be portrayed by other people videographers and newscasters and people coming into our communities and trying to document us but now is the time that we have the tools and the world's become a more intersectional place to especially with the internet yeah. to connect with one another and really have these bonds and be able to do that. So
0: beautiful, man. You know, we get to ask ourselves, how did we get here and, and where are we going? And, and let's go together as a people. You know what I mean? Let's try to do this together. Um, you know, cause being apart is just not helpful for any of us, mm-hmm. any of us. So whatever it is, you know, just give in for the sake of the people. Go far. We go much further. If we're together, we go much further. If we're together, much further. So yes, I'm asking people to organize, to give in, to be, to be loyal to organizations like AIM, you know, because here's the problem. They are organized. We are not. That is a huge disadvantage that we cannot overcome we simply can and so radio shows like this and what you're doing is helping us to organize and it's the, some of the most really important work that we're doing right now
1: I'm really. um what so for you personally um what are your next goals moving forward um for the future
0: well you know i'm i'm really, really hopeful for my son. Um, he is so much smarter than I am. And so I really want to provide for him and for as many children and young people as I can, a platform for them to build off of. And for them to take whatever we have behind and and move it to the next level. Because I don't care if you're Native. I mean, everybody's Native to some place. I don't care where it is. France, Britain, Yugoslavia. You know, um, the point is that we as Native people always lived by a law that we would try to do something for the next generation. And that's universal. And I think... We have to really refocus on that and that and perhaps let that be at least a rallying cry, a unifying point, you know, that um, for us as adults, you know, it's it should really be about the next generation, no matter how comfortable it is and how great these things feel and stuff like that and, and how much we enjoy them. Let's let's. You know, so, uh, uh, that's all I can say and, 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 and help them move on. That's, that's what my goal is to try to leave behind things as best I can for, for young people to understand and fashion a better society than what we, we lived in. Um, mm-hmm. and I think true of my grandfather and his music too. You know, all of his music was children's music it was designed it was all g-rated it was designed for people to have fun and just enjoy themselves and stuff and and i know that we have had rituals like that in our past that you know we have really we know how to enjoy life better than anyone without anything just by being together we have such enormous pleasure in, in ourselves, which is unique as well, because, you know, like I say, I travel amongst many different people, amongst whites, amongst blacks, amongst many different people. But that native sense of, you know, family is really something and it's something we all share as human beings and we just got to get in there and find it and pull it out and put it forward and and do the best we can. That's all I can say. I'll just do the best I can. Ew.
1: Hey, oh. <laughs> so, um is there any last thoughts or any um other messages that you want to share at this time?
0: No, I think it it goes back to that really fundamental one and that is the fact that you can have pride in who you are. I mean, I know it really hurts, you know, the African people because you know they the you know people from different cultures they look back at their homeland and they have something that they're proud about you know with us it's our spirituality it's our culture it's the way we treated each other it's the way we took care of the land we have so many things to be proud of but you know the africans what and you know we looked at how so many of these races you know what i mean have these things but i'm telling you there is a wisdom, there is a profoundness, there is a, a an inner spirituality, a nature of the African people which surpasses all of us. I mean, just the fact that the African people could survive this slavery and stuff makes them the most extraordinary human beings I think. So we all have something that we can be proud of. We all have something that makes us human beings. And, and that's what we've got to really look at, is what's what's our humanity, you know what I mean? Um, I think it's terrible that they ask Native people to in America to, to associate with a tribe and, you know, fill out paperwork to prove who you are. No one's ever done that for people from any place, you know, in the world. I've never had to prove that I was black or prove that I was white, or even if I was accepted by those people, you know, um... So I think it's, it's really painful and it hurts all of us. And we have to come up with a better way of how to triage people and, and bring them along and, and nurture them and stuff without relying on looks and, um, stuff like that so much. Cause it's all changing, you know? And so, um, I just, you know, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, but, but. but
1: <laughs> okay. I'm wrapping gonna, it up. I mean, that's a, just, all of that is yeah. like such good points to share with our listeners. Um, so did you want to plug your social media?
0: Sure. I'm Peter C. Um, and my uh, guided meditations with Peter C. Brooks. I just use my name. It's just me. You know what I mean? Um, you know, whatever it is, I'm just honest about who I am and, and what I'm trying to do and, and try to be transparent with it all and, and hope that that makes a way for other people and that you know, you're not lost. You're not all alone. We're here. Just be patient. We're going to get to you. Hang in there. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're going to make it. And that's all I can say to the people. This is we're going to make it. Yes.
1: And your YouTube is Peter C. Brooks as well. Yes. Yes. Um- yes.
0: Yes not so good at plugging myself i guess eh? (laughs) (laughs) yeah so just yeah just i don't know yeah i'm just doing the best i can that's all
1: okay mahalo nui for sharing your story with us here at native stories um if you all huh
0: i know it was different but that's what i am different
1: (laughs) Um, if you all want to further connect with us, please do follow us on Facebook, search Native Stories for daily updates on Native Kind Mea. Um, please download our mobile app and listen to us on all streaming podcast outlets. Just search Native Stories and make sure to share with us um, or share... Us to your ohana, your friends, your family, your lovers, whoever you would like. Um, if you have any stories to share, please email us at info at or go to our website and fill out a share a story form. Um, Native Stories prides ourselves in being your resource. And the more you share, the more knowledge um, of Native peoples is known Sending lots and lots of aloha to everybody at this time of COVID 19. And mahalo for tuning in, and we will, I'll be back with another episode. Ohio. Thank you for listening to us on Native Stories. Navigate through location based stories on our Native Stories mobile app. You can find it on Apple and Android stores under Native Stories. Go check them out and leave a review and tell your family and friends. If you have a story you would like us to tell or want to sponsor a future podcast, location, story, or walking tour, please email us at info at Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook under username Our Native Stories.